Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12, and today we're going to be talking about Bad Boys, the 1995 Michael Bay film, which was his first movie, starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, and it was the start of the Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer sound. But before we start, we're going to be talking about what we've been listening to. Uh, Now, we've got a lot because we actually skipped a week as far as recording-wise. Episode-wise, never even noticed anything. So we've actually been listening to a lot, but we also have something together that we're going to talk about. So, Leslie, what have you got? What have you been listening to? I have been listening to the Mortal Kombat score for the new movie that's about to come out. And I have been listening to the SpongeBob score. Oh, the Sponge on the Run by Hans Zimmer. By Hans Zimmer. Yeah. I also listen to the uh, Mortal Kombat score. Um, I'll listen to the full thing and... Yeah, it was, I got to be honest with you, I I thought it was great, but there were a lot of moments in the score, listening to it on its own, I'm like, uh, wasn't as big as I thought it would be. There was a few moments that I noticed listening, I didn't get all the way through, but there was a few moments that I noticed that were somber sounding, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense, but we haven't seen the movie, but. I mean, it starts off with Benjamin Walfish's very awesome rendition of the techno syndrome, you know, which is become widely known as the Mortal Kombat theme. And he actually uses that theme and it's kind of peppered it throughout the score, which is great. But then it goes into uh, another piece called Hanzo. And I believe that's the story of Scorpion. I haven't seen the film yet, but by, by the time this episode releases, you know, the film's already been out and everything else. But it was very somber, like you said. Yes. So I don't know if they're going to cover his backstory in the movie. I, I th- would think that they would, considering that kind of seemed like a sad, somber, sappy piece of music, <laughs> in my opinion. And it, it sounded great, too. I really liked the music. Uh, but there are a lot of moments in the action cues where it was kind of, I don't know, there was like a little bit too much digital synthesized sounds in there, and I'm going I'm I'm really curious as to what's going on with the movie. Overall, I like the score. It but the one thing was it, it didn't have a very definable theme to me. Well Whereas it the, could be though, because you know, Mortal Kombat you have different fighters. That is true. That is true. And each it, fighter may have its own theme. Well, and we have picked up on that. There was a lot of tracks in there where it was like Lord Raiden, Liu Kang, mm-hmm. Sonya. So I think that's what he was trying to do. So that that might be the case there. Uh also listen to the score to uh the film Dreamcatcher by James Newton Howard. The old Dreamcatcher? Yeah, the the Stephen King film. And the film itself was terrible. I've never watched it. It, it was a bad, a great cast. You got Thomas Jane, Jason Lee, Morgan Freeman, Tom Sizemore, and uh, Damian Lewis was another one. A great cast. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were going to say Tom Selleck. I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tom Selleck's <laughs> in <sorry>. this. I'm <laughs> sorry. No. Um, it was, I, my bad. <laughs> it, it was a terrible movie. It really was. And, and the screenwriter and director was Lawrence Kasdan, who, if I remember correctly, wrote the screenplay for The Empire Strikes Back. 
So, I mean, it had all the makings of, you know, to be a great movie, but it was just, it was terrible. But the score was really, it was really well done. And so you're saying that the movie was so bad that the score could not save it. Yeah, pretty oh. much. <laughs> and, and James Newton Howard said in the in the booklet that he wanted to experiment with this film. The director came to him and said, I want a really weird score. And it, to me, there was a lot of weird moments in there, but it, it was not weird enough to the point where it was not an enjoyable score. So much fact that Vary Sarabande released a deluxe edition on digital for the first time this past week. And I was a big fan of the retail version. So there were, this is the first time I've listened to a deluxe edition where there are a lot of moments in the score that were changed from the retail version. So what if you had somebody come up to you and say, okay, Chris, I want you to make a weird score. In your mind, what is, constitutes as a weird score? You know, I, I really don't know. I... I Sound I, sound, I, I have I know? have made a weird score before. I, I gotta I gotta admit this. It was for a short film. It was like a nine minute short film. Cannot remember the name of the movie. And the guy said, "Just make something weird." I was like, "Okay." And I started bringing in like a lot of world instruments, a lot of hand pan stuff. But that's not weird. That's well, the way tribal. I was using the way I was using it was weird. I was stretching the notes out, and it it's a weird score but when i think of weird you know what comes to my mind is the theremin for whatever reason the theremin pops in there a theremin can you know it can be used to identify weird so yeah and i actually had to do that once I, um there was a short film i scored called a uh, head it was from a, um, a director a friend of mine and i scored the entire thing and then the producer um, came in and was like, hey, uh, let's have him go back through and add a theremin in there. Oh, yeah, I remember you doing that. Yeah, and, and the the score was very serious. So I was going, how is that going to work? How am I going to add a theremin in there and make it scary? And it it was very, very hard to do that. Because <laughs> I, I had to, I mean, because the theremin I have is digital. I mean, it's it's software. It's not a real theremin. So I had to go back in there and really mess with it and everything else. I made it work, and but ultimately I told him I said, "Look, I don't think this works. For the, <laughs> I don't think this works for the film. I mean, it sounds great, but this this is not what you want for this movie. Or, I mean, because you're not going to be taken seriously. I I got it to work to make it sound serious. It just did not work for the film itself. So ultimately they agreed with me, but like like they said though, uh, they say it sounds great. We love it, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. work. For, yeah, it doesn't work for the movie. But that's, in my mind, you know, when you say, okay, we want this to sound weird. Let's bust out the theremin, everybody. <laughs> Let's get weird. <laughs> every, time I, I, every time I hear a theremin, I think of Ghostbusters. Well, I, I think of Ghostbusters, but I also think of, like, mystery science theater or, you know, 1950. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, alien movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, another thing that is kind of interesting that both of us have been watching is the new Are You Afraid of the Dark? And growing up, you know, Snick, you know, Saturday Night Nick, it was, you know, the Are You Afraid of the Dark show came on, and it was the basically the teen version of The Twilight Zone. I love the Midnight Society. I love the stories they told. And 
this new version still aims at the teenagers. It still has that teenage, teeny bopper kind of conversation. But I love the storyline to it. It's not they're telling a story and everything else. This time, the story is happening to the Midnight Society themselves. And they brought back the theme to yes. Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I noticed that when we sat down and watched it. I'm like, oh, look, that's the theme. I remember the theme. But it, it was played a little bit differently, and they used an organ. But it was still the theme. I still made my hair stand up when it happened, too, because it still freaked me out. And there was moments in the score where they brought that theme back just a little bit. And I thought that was great. I thought, I was, I thought it was great that they did that. Well, you know, the only theme that ever really did that to me was Unsolved Mysteries. And even to this day, when they start hitting those high notes, I get the chill bumps. And I'm like, oh, this is creepy. Well, I remember when they when they brought Unsolved Mysteries back um, for Netflix. And they, they brought the theme back. But it still wasn't the same. I mean, they still had the same notes and everything else. But it didn't have the same eeriness to it that the original did. As soon as that, you know, drum line would hit... And the synthesized piano would come in. You immediately go, <laughs> I know. I'm I like, still do uh. it. <laughs> there, was, there was a guy I work with who had the Unsolved Mysteries score on record. Oh, my goodness. He found it at a thrift store, and he said he couldn't even finish it. <laughs> <laughs> he said it freaked him I out. I can see it now. Chris, look what I found. Burn it. Burn <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were sitting around at work one time, and we're sitting there talking about that theme, and all of a sudden I pulled it up on my phone and started playing it, and everybody's going, no, 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 turn it off, turn it off, turn that off. <laughs> the composite sketches used to get me. I used to, That creeps me out. The grays. Yeah, oh, Ugh, can't stand gosh. that, no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we regress. Yeah. So like we were talking about today, we're going to be talking about 1995's Bad Boys. Now, what was your first interaction with this film? What was the first time you saw this? <laughs> with you a few years ago <laughs> wow that really was the first time yeah I didn't, look i don't i don't i, I don't watch much tv and i did not watch many movies i was a bizarre child no no i didn't bizarre. stay in front of the tv i still don't watch much tv you can attest to that i i don't turn the tv on during the day i i do not watch tv and so uh i remember telling you the first time hey i've never seen this movie and you're like what that's right yeah you yeah. did tell me it was a few years ago, so yes, the first time I've seen it was a few years ago. Well, the first time I saw it was when it came out on VHS uh, back when I was a kid. I remember when it was announced, because it was, it was kind of a big deal. It was Will Smith's first big movie, and it was an action movie, and he was starring with Martin Lawrence, because Will Smith was really known for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, yeah. And Martin Lawrence was known for his- show. Yeah, Martin Lawrence was known for his show. I used to watch Martin also. Yeah, yeah. My- and, uh, I watched, hated I that watched theme song. all those. I hated that theme song. Well, that was I love the show. Back I, in the nineties, it was not even not popular back then. Yes, it was. <laughs> I love Martin and I loved Fresh Prince. I love both of those shows. I knew, I, I love the theme to Fresh Prince. I, think to I this hated day, the theme I to know Martin. every single word to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. We are not doing that on this. I'm podcast. not going to no, see because we will get I'm struck going, with a copyright uh, strike. So no, no we're not I, doing. I, I don't want them to hear my horrible singing voice. That's why I play the flute. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I do digital. That's why I do not sing in the choir or sing. I sing in the shower. I don't even do that. With the audience of one. Myself. <laughs> now, one of the things, though, this was before I started noticing film scores and everything else. I, re I do remember, because I was a kid when this came out. I was probably like in the fifth grade. 
And oh yeah, you're younger than me. <laughs> yes, I was not in the fifth grade. <laughs> Anyways, and I, I do remember the the theme to this movie like really standing out to me. I remember watching the movie, and it was already after I'd watched it, and I, I popped the tape back in. Tape. <laughs> yeah, I popped the tape back in, and I, I kept rewinding the opening theme. And my mom come around, and she was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I really like this music. I really like this." You know, and it, I remember it always stuck to me as a kid. And when I started noticing film scores and who was who was the composer and things like that, that's when I started finding out, you know, who done what. And Mark Mancina, the composer, I remembered from Speed, which came out in 1994. And I've never seen that movie. Are you being serious? You've never seen Speed? No, I've never seen Speed. Oh, man, I know what we're watching after this podcast. And it's on HBO right I, now. I just know who the villain is. Please tell me you know it's Dennis Hopper. Yes. Okay. That's all I know. Oh, man. You've never <laughs> seen Speed? No. No. <sighs> Maybe bits and pieces, but <laughs> I remember there's a bus. <laughs> oh, something man. about the bus can't go under a certain... <laughs> it, can't, it can't go... If it a goes, certain speed. If it goes up 50 miles, the bomb is armed. If it goes under 50, it blows up. Yeah. I think, yeah. Something like that. Brilliant plot That's to That's all film. I remember. Oh man! Wow, that's dude. I can't get up. That's <laughs> and ladies my... and gentlemen, he is speechless. <laughs> Literally. So anyway, Speed came out first, and it got Mark Mancina noticed, and that's when he was. Uh, I think it was around this time when he did Bad Boys. That's when it started the Brockheimer sound. It was these short notes that were used for a theme and everything else, just like with this film here. It was you know dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Every Bruckheimer film after Bad Boys, Crimson Tide, Con Air, The Rock, they all had this style of sound. And I it never was, paid attention to that. It, 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 and a lot of other films really started to pick up on this. They started doing, they wanted that sound. There was another film, uh, The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. They, they had that style of score for that film. Uh, there was a lot of films around this time started adapting the Bruckheimer sound, and Hans Zimmer was one of the ones that really liked the sound. That's when he pulled it in for The Rock because he was scoring that, which was Michael Bay's next film after this one. The Rock with Sean Connery? Yep. I did see that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, this is Michael Bay's first movie. This was the movie before Michael became Michael Bay became Michael Explosion Bay. Well, you know, um, when I first started listening to score uh, for this exercise, uh, that's the first thing I noticed was the, from, you know, right off bat, they played the, the main motif or theme of the, the movie uh, for the bad boys. And I picked it, I was like, oh yeah, I know this. And it's catchy. I will, I listen to it and I will sing it for days. You can ask Chris and I will just start humming it. <laughs> now this was actually your pick. This was my pick um, because I like the theme uh, to the movie. It's, it's like, like I said, I will just start singing it or humming it out of the blue. And that was the first thing I noticed about uh, listening to the score was that it started strongly with that theme. The, the awesome guitar riff is what it starts off with. And I, 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 I could be wrong. I believe that was Trevor Raven. And who went on to score like um, Armageddon, Con Air with Mark Mancina. Oh, man, that was another one. Uh, uh, National Treasure. He did the National Treasure films. That makes sense because, you know, the National Treasure films kind of have that 
that sound. And Trevor Rabin started off as an 80s rock person, so I'm pretty sure Mark Mancina was also working with him because Mark Mancina also worked with Phil Collins. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and uh, actually, I got Phil Collins to work with him on the Tarzan score. I like Phil Collins. Yeah. But I'm, I'm old school. I am too. I'm right there with you. So I did. I noticed that it immediately started with the theme and the motif of the movie. And then uh, that the score had kind of like this Miami Vice feel to it. Which takes, which makes sense because the film takes place in Miami. And, yeah. And, you know, so when you start watching the film, which we'll get to in the movie, you, you can understand that. But when you just listen to the sto- score, it kind of has this, you know, Miami Vice action uh, right. feel to it. Now, the, the one thing I, I really, really enjoyed about the score was how it starts off with the guitar, the, the, the theme of, the, you know, the bad boys themselves. And then when you go into the main title, Heist track, which was, you know, the, the score that was playing over the main titles, I, that is one of my favorite action pieces of all time because you've got the theme playing and he's just steadily creating different variations of the theme. Yes, you know, he did... My favorite is the JoJo um, score piece. All right. It says JoJo, and it's because he reworked that theme, and he, as you just mentioned, he's work, reworked the theme throughout the whole score, but he's reworked the theme, and it's got this Caribbean feel to the it. The steel drums. With the steel drums, yeah. and I absolutely loved it because it reminded me of, uh, you know, going on vacation to an island, and you hear... Yeah, it's like ding, ding, yeah ding, ding, I really ding, liked ding, it. Ding. It was subtle. You know, yeah. su- subtle. Subtle. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It was subtle. Subtle. Yes. And, but it was it was nice. Yeah. And I'm I'm with you on that one. And and that was one thing I really did enjoy too was, you know, the different styles and the the comedic, you know, instances that he had with the score too. Because it wasn't all serious. There was moments in there like when they're finding the dead body and he's just playing the theme, but he's playing it with a bass guitar and you can hear it like do, 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 you know, and I thought it was funny. I, I, and, and listening to it in the car on the way to work and on the way home, I, and I'm, I'm sitting there listening to it and I could picture, you know, somebody like sneaking around a house or something like that. And it's like comedic is, I don't know what. And I liked that. But I thought it was know, cool. It, even after all that, and that he's reworked all these motifs, he's he's uh, added those comedic elements into it. It still translates an action score. And you Every can time. tell it's action. It's action-packed action score. Now, there, there was one track in particular that was straight up, like three different tracks from Speed reworked into one score piece. And it was the part where the character Max is getting killed, where the main villain is um, he's making her spin around like a model and everything else. And that's when he's hiding the gun. That's when he shoots her. And when I'm listening to it, because I had just watched Speed the other day. And when that happens, I'm sitting here listening to it. And the more I was, I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is one of the tracks right here. This is like when they're introducing toward the end of Speed. And wait, no, this is like also the subway part from Speed. Oh, wait. And that's what he did. He took like three different tracks, which makes sense because if Speed came out a year prior to this film here, he probably still had a lot of those tracks. The only thing that kind of threw me off, though, was a lot of the beginning of Bad Boys with a lot of orchestral moments. This was the digital 
synthesized orchestra. And back then, that style of orchestra in 1995. Oh, the quality was bad. Oh, it was very bad. And you could tell it listening to it. I can't stand digital instruments to a certain extent, especially the older ones. When they sound digital. I can, yes. So if I, if I want to hear the sound of a flute, for example, I want to hear a pure tone. I want to hear it sound like a flute. Right. If I want to hear the sound of a, uh, let's say, a brass instrument, a uh, tuba, for example, I want it to sound like a tuba. Right. But around that time, you know, they were still kind of grasping the concept of electronic music and electronic orchestra. Right. And so when those notes played, they did not sound like an instrument at all. And I, to this day, it kind of irritates me if I'm expecting to hear the sound of a instrument that I know that's supposed to be an instrument. I want to hear an instrument. I don't want to hear something that does not sound like that instrument, but hits that note. Right. And no, I'm completely with you on that one because I... I, I, I can't confirm this, but from my assumption, I'm pretty sure 90% of the score for speed was done, you know, digitally. So, and he may have been pressed for time or something, and he just threw those pieces in there just for this moment. Or maybe it was just, that's what came to his head. But it, it kind of took me out listening to it. Now, and then you get to this, another spot in the score. Uh, it was toward the end of the film, the Porsche chase scene. And... It, that is another one of my favorite tracks is you've got this really driving moment with the orchestra coming in and then you get this low uh, bass guitar, electric guitar coming in dry and with the orchestra driving up as the orchestra, the higher instruments are going up and all of a sudden the, they stop for a moment and then the lower bass comes in real fast and heavy. Uh, it, every time I hear it, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> Every time I hear that, it, you know, it, it's it's funny because everybody's different, and there's like nuances to certain pieces of music that I hear. It could be just like the change of key, for example, and I feel the same way. I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great, you know. And that's what it is for that one piece right there when that when that lower bass comes in and drives upwards. Oh, it's just like yes, well, it's come like on. In the theme song. I love the part in the theme song where the voices come in. <laughs> That's it. And to me, it's like perfect. And I'm like, this is wonderful. At that point, it's, it matches nicely. So I understand. And it's just that one little piece of that song to me. It's just magical. I mean, the granted, <laughs> the song sounds great, but then when it hit, I don't know why I'm weird, but then, <laughs> then it hits that voice section. I'm like, oh yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> well see i back in the day when i only wanted to hear the main title heist music i didn't want to hear the guitar part i only wanted to hear the main title heist that was the only one i really liked now it's like i like all of it i like hearing the guitar i like the like the heist you know i like how it all meshes there you've learned to appreciate yeah it. i've learned to appreciate appreciate <laughs> i preach i love to appreciate <laughs> i'm gonna preach this i'm gonna preach Anyways, <laughs> I've had way too much coffee. You have, and I, it's my fault. I, <laughs> I fixed you a tumbler of coffee. Yeah. Not it, was not, it, was, it was not a normal cup. It was like a full it tumbler a of tumbler. coffee. So, and there was like a lot of sugar and in And this there. is late at night, guys. So yeah. <laughs> he's we, 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 we normally record a little earlier than this, but uh, not tonight. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I do know the score was um, mainly composed by Mark Mancina, but he also got Nick Glennie-Smith to come in. Which is another guy that works a lot with 
Hans Zimmer's group, which Mark Mancina became one of the senior members of Hans Zimmer's Media Ventures. And the score wasn't released until 2007. And so the movie came out in 1995, but the score wasn't released until 2007 by La La Land Records. And then when it was released, it was only released as a limited edition of 3000 Which now I even looked it up trying to find it, and I can buy one for like $180. <laughs> I mean... So yeah, twenty five dollar CD. Exactly, we're gonna have to do that. Because every no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, uh, <laughs> You're not right. Uh, and uh, it it is a shame though. And there there was someone else said that if uh, Hans Zimmer's name had been on this, that you know we would still find the score today. But since it's Mark Mancina's name on there, which is which is sad because I think it's sad and. It, it's not just Mark Machina. It's a lot of these composers that are wonderful at what they do and their their music sounds amazing, but because their names aren't some of those higher profile names, right. you can't find you can't find anything on them. Hence like, you know, like I was talking about with Dreamcatcher earlier and they're just now releasing a digital version of the deluxe edition. Why? Why I mean I understand a lot of rights and stuff like that have to go into play and everything else, but it's like, come on, guys. I mean, there there are a lot of fans that like this music, just like this score right here. I would love to have a digital version of this or a CD version of this, but yet, you know, we've got a CD out there that I can buy, but it's $150. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. It it really doesn't. Now, uh. The way the the rest of the score was fine. I mean, the way it played out, it was great. I, I like the action moments. I like the action cues. They're listening to it though. It, it did get to a point where it started to sound a little derivative. It, it started sounding a little generic. Yeah, in, in and some moments, I felt like that also. I especially when it started getting more into the action uh, pieces that weren't theme driven. Right. Um. It just sounded mediocre to me. You know, there was a lot of the the foot chase score. I, I I do like that one, although it was it was the same thing though. It was just a reworking of the theme over and over and over. But the way he did it was was it, it sounded great. The execution was wonderful. Right. I mean, it sounded wonderful. And, and it's a so, this is a solid score, and uh, I feel like it's a solid score. But there were yeah. parts that were kind of eh. You know, yeah. This is blase. Just just listening to it, it was yeah. kind of eh. Um. It had a great, it had a great lead up with the Porsche chase m- music, but the ending to me of the score was a little lacking. I, I felt it needed to be maybe just a little bit like bigger. Like the mummy. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Guns are blazing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But no, it, it to me, you know me, when I'm listening to a score on its own, I want it to tell a story. And you want a it, strong finish. I want a strong finish. And when you don't have that strong finish, to me, it, it just makes me feel kind of empty, like, there should have been more. Like playing a scale and not hitting that last note. Exactly. I can't stand that. That's, that's <laughs> you got o- to hit that's, that note. That's when my OCD kicks in and I just want to come over there and I slap had, somebody. I had a teacher <laughs> in college. I took music appreciation instead of art appreciation because, you know, I was a musician. I, I felt like it was just easier and get to get it out of the way to get my credit. And he did that on purpose. He was, a, I think, a trombonist. And his wife was the principal flautist for the symphony here. And um, he went to the piano. I can't remember if it was the B-flat scale. It might have been. It could have been the F scale. But it was a major scale. He plays the scale up. 
he plays it down and then he doesn't play the last note and he walks away from the piano and he continues to teach and I'm cringing. I'm like, play the note. You know, I'm like, play it. And I think finally somebody in the class got up, run over to the piano and hit it. And everybody's like, (laughs) (laughs) but he did that on purpose. Right. Yeah. That would drive drive me nuts. So I regress. So watching the film, Immediately, right when the Columbia TriStar logo starts up, that's when that awesome guitar riff starts playing. And it works. It works so well for that moment because it just automatically puts you into the film. So, yeah, I noticed that, and Chris and I have joked about this in this podcast, that we've noticed that scores that do well initially start out with uh just the movies play that score at the very beginning from the beginning as as the you know like paramount you know comes up on the the screen and this one was no no exception it started to play we hear the theme right away right what i noticed was like in the first five minutes of the film so you got the bad boys theme playing right that That, the guitar the guitar riff that motif that starts to play. And it, it, that's when it plays throughout the whole comedic opening, w- which was reshot, by the way. And then, as the credits start rolling with the names, it switches to a very dramatic sound. And it sounds very dramatic. And then it switches to an action sound. Right. And within the first five minutes, you've got like these three sounds just all at once. And it's not that it was conflicting, in my opinion. Um, it was just, to me, kind of odd. That they would change the sounds like that in a matter of minutes within, you know, the start of the film instead of dragging it out or, you know, putting it in different parts of the film. Right. No, and, uh, yeah, I I thought it, to me, I don't know. I I thought it worked. I I didn't say that it didn't work. I just thought it was just strange. No, no, no. Yeah, it it was a little weird to have, but, I mean, it worked well with what's going on on the picture and everything else. But, yeah, for Looking at it from a composer's standpoint, that would have been like a heart attack right there. Like, That's oh a lot. my god, I've, I've got to switch so many different genres right then and there. Like, are you kidding well, you me? You do horror a lot. Granted, you have done other genres, but you do a lot of horror. I mean, can you imagine doing that in a horror film? Yeah, because there there have been some instances where I've scored a horror film, and, and within the scene, it would switch from a horror to a dramatic moment, like somebody, a character would die. It would be a dr- very dramatic moment in the story. So, yeah, I would have to switch you know, switch it up right then and there and then switch it back to the horror right then and there to fit what the character was. Yeah, so yeah, I I do know how that is. You know, that'd be funny if you had to switch from horror to dramatic to comedy. <laughs> that would make no sense. <laughs> I don't know if I've done that yet. I may have, and I'm just not thinking All within about the same horror movie. <laughs> Now I have I have scored uh, a film where it's mainly comedy, but there was like a horror moment in there, so I had to switch from comedy to horror, but then back to comedy. Yeah, see, that's weird. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. I I don't think I pull it off either, to be honest with you. <laughs> now, since this was Michael Bay's first film, he come off of mainly like commercials and Victoria's Secret shoots and stuff oh, like that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know he did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, this, you know, the scene in Club Hell when they're walking around and you see it, everything's in slow motion. All the hair's being flown back and everything from the supermodel-looking 
chicks that are in lingerie and everything else. That's from Victoria's Secret. Oh. Yeah. It explains a lot, doesn't it? Kind of, yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, one of the things that was very interesting looking at the, you know, the history of this, um, the, the original idea was to have Dana Carvey and John Lovitz be in the film. That's because the original concept was pitched to Disney. <laughs> it was then, I can't remember the name. It was before Disney acquired the the uh, company, I think. Uh, but when they pitched it then... It was Touchstone. It might have been. Yeah. They said Hollywood. Yeah, it was other. Hollywood Pictures, Touchstone. That's it, Hollywood Pictures, yeah. I think. And uh, that's when they talked about Dana Carvey and uh, John Lovitz being in the film. Which uh, Dana Carvey backed out of the film because he met with the producer, Don Simpson, and immediately got freaked out by him and backed out. He's and then he Bruckenheimer, uh, according to... Bruckheimer. Bruckenheimer. Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer. <laughs> Not Bruckenheimer. There was I no I want to add that in. extra syllable. There is no E-N in there. Anyway, it's just Bruckheimer. Mr. Bruckheimer. Is that better? <laughs> uh, Bruckheimer freaked out. And so then they pitched it to Sony. Yep. So then when they pitched it to Sony, uh, Arsenio Hall was supposed to be Will Smith's character. Yeah, it was going to be Arsenio Hall and Martin Lawrence. And then Hall backed out of the film for whatever reason. And Arsenio has said that is the most regrettable thing he has ever done in his career. He said, I should have done that movie. Well, you know, then Martin Lawrence, sister. The thing, the thing is, though, I could not picture Arsenio Hall in that movie. I can't picture John Lovitz and Dana Carvey in that movie. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. Can it would not have been I, and <laughs> funny. I believe um, they screen tested for the thing. So imagine this, everybody. Michael Bay directing a Dana Carvey, John Lovitz serious action film with comedic moments. I'm sorry. There's I can't the... see John Lovitz in that because anytime I think of John Lovitz, I think of Rat Race and I think of him and Hitler's car. <laughs> so, no. It would never work for me. And we just lost a bunch of listeners right then and there because we mentioned Hitler. No. <laughs> but that was a funny movie. And so, I, that's what I think of when I think of John Lovitz, unfortunately. My favorite thing in Rat Race was when, in the bloopers, where he got Cuba Gooden Jr. to say, did he show you the money? He's like, no, he didn't show me the money. And then John Lovitz just kind of looks away, he starts laughing, and then Cuba Gooden Jr., that's when he hit, get, you know, realizes, he realizes what he did. He's like, ah. <laughs> See, I couldn't imagine him in this movie. I I no. couldn't either. I, and I... <laughs> I just couldn't imagine John Lovitz running around with a gun shooting at people. Dana Carvey, maybe. No, no. no I think of turtle, turtle, turtle. I can't know. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. It just does not work. Turtle, turtle. Am I not turtle enough for the turtle club? <laughs> Such a stupid movie. I but hate yet it. we still remember about the turtles. I know. Anyway, we regress. What I was going to say is that so Martin Lawrence's sister suggested Will Smith. Uh, being in the film and Will Smith at the time was still filming the Fresh Prince Bel-Air and that's why Arsenio Hall backed out because Arsenio Hall was still doing his show. Makes sense. Okay. he backed out because of that. So then uh, Martin Lawrence sat down with Will Smith at uh, I guess it was lunch. It was lunch or dinner but they sat down had a meal and then they kicked it off. And so uh, from then you know 
Right. History has been made. Right. And and they became really good friends because of this movie. And I, I remember on an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air watching it where uh, little Nikki Banks would come running up. And it's going, uh, they're not going to let me watch the movie because it's rated R. And he goes, what movie is it? He goes, Bad Boys. Oh, Bad Boys. What are you going to do? Yeah, he made a reference you know, to it. He's like, what are you going to do? That's what it was. Because after he filmed this movie, he went back to record the last season of Fresh Prince right. of Yeah. And I, I remember what, I remember that because I watched Bad Boys and then I watched Fresh Prince. So. <laughs> and the one thing about this movie that we talked about with the score that is very similar to Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. I, you know, when we were watching it, uh, I noticed how, and I asked Chris about that. I said, Chris, does this seem kind of reminiscent of uh, Beverly Hills Cop? I said, because he's repeating the theme. Uh, granted, uh, he, you know, uh, Mark had repeated the theme in the movie, but he has rewritten the theme. So it's not the same theme. Like in Beverly Hills Cop. Or it's just the same thing over and over yes. and over. So you hear Axel F 70 billion times. Uh, and this one, you hear the theme, but you hear like the JoJo's theme, which is right. the Caribbean-based theme. Uh, or you hear... The comedic bass guitar theme. Yeah, when they find the, the electric dead guitar, body. Or the very serious action theme. Uh, it added variety. So even though that it was kind of, it seemed like it kind of followed the same formula as Beverly Hills Cop, to me, because he rewrote the theme, it added more of a variety that Ber- blah, 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 Beverly Hills Cop did not have. <laughs> it did not want to come out. Which very interesting, though, uh, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer also produced Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. So then when you brought up that point, I'm like, that makes sense. So right. they're going to use something that they knew that was successful. All right. Now there there were a lot of moments in the film where there was uh like toward the toward the end of the film right before the whole foot chase sequence there was a lot of moments where there was no score. That's what I noticed. I I have in my notes here um there was lacking of a score around the second time they meet JoJo because remember they go back to JoJo. Right. There was no score there. And it was there was soundtrack. No scare. It was, it was yeah. source music. But there was no score there for uh, a little bit of period of time that it made it that it was kind of it was noticeable to me. Right. Um, and then I noticed that th- there was a bizarre hit. I don't know if you noticed it in um, the movie, but uh, he hit one of the bad guys in the face, and it, to me, it just the note played and it sounded odd. And then it went into the uh, you know a score piece. I think I remember. The yeah, scene. it just it. I can't remember the exact moment, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. It sounded it was like a weird snare. Yeah, it was sound. just strange. And I'm like, he, that he brought it strange. throughout the whole thing. He brought it throughout the whole score, and it worked for those other moments. But for that one scene, it it was a little weird. It was bizarre, and then it just went into the score piece, and I'm like, this transition is strange to me. Um. Now, there were some moments listening to the score where, like, an acoustic guitar riff would come in there, and it sounded fine listening to it, but against the film, it was where Max's, Will Smith's character uh, found out that Max, the girl that he really liked, which was um, the one that was turning around like a model, was killed. It was supposed to be, like, a sad-sounding moment, but it sounded too much like an 80s action movie. <laughs> I see, Not that's a, what I- 
not an early 90s action film. It, it sounded way off. It reminded me of those 80s drama pieces, you know? Yeah, it just didn't work. I mean, that, listen, wah, 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 you know sound? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't know about all that. No, and listening to it on its own, it sounded fine. But when you watch it against the film, it, it did not work. It did not work. In my mind, because the the film was, you could tell it was '90s film. Yeah, you can tell where this, this you know, you're in Miami. Uh, even Will Smith's apartment in the movie seemed kind of state of the art, you know, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you've got this '80s rift come in, and you're like, uh, this does not emote the feeling of the the background to me." Which that the, could be Mark Mancina's background, you know, the the. 80s rock coming kind of you know that's what he knows so that's what he wrote and th- there was another moment like toward the end of the film where they're gearing up to go into the hangar the big hangar shootout and this electric guitar comes in that is not the theme yes and it's something completely different it does not work for to the me, film it does not work for the film i guess it's supposed to be the whole preparation montage sequence you know you always got this one moment where the heroes are gearing up they're putting all their guns together and you know that's when Will Smith's character is like, you know, my stuff works always sometimes, you know. <laughs> so I, I, it's it's that moment, but it the score there, it don't work. It does not work for me. It, it, maybe back in the day it, it did. It didn't work for me either. I, I just, I, I couldn't get into it. Now, the whole hangar shootout, interesting. Michael Bay had to pay for that himself. Now, this was a Michael Bay film, and Michael Bay is notorious for explosions. Nowadays. Nowadays. But when you go back and watch Bad Boys... There was a lack of explosions. There was no explosions up until the end. And then up to the end, he's just like, okay, let's add this, you know, he's like, it was flammable whole... chemical yeah, into yeah. this airplane the hangar. Ether. Yeah, ether. Airplane, you know, I think fuel. there was like one sequence where an explosion happened. That's when they, on the on the intersection, when they cooked Noah, as Will Smith said it, uh... No, it might have been Martin Lawrence. I'm sorry. He said, you know, we cooked Noah back on the freeway. That's what it was. Sorry. Anyway, and they had the (laughs) flammable ether canisters. You know, that was one explosion right there, but not a huge one. And then you had the big gigantic hangar explosion, which, like I said, I think it was like $250,000 or $25,000. Michael really? Bay. Yeah, it was twenty five thousand dollars is what Michael Bay had to put up. He, he took it out of his director's salary. He took it salary. out of the pocket, right? Yeah, he took it out of his director's salary for the moment. And there was another thing I was reading somewhere that they were very unsure if Michael Bay was gonna be right for this film. I'm gonna be honest with you, I I couldn't picture anybody I think else this film directing this movie. Helped catapult Michael Bay into getting comfortable with the the feel that we all you know the uh right because what we know him for right because the the whole sequence with the porsche all right you know yeah. he had the zooming in zooming out of the the, the lenses the rock you know, you know one of the huge car chase sequences in there you know it, it is just full of those zooming in zooming out in the camera shaking moments with the lights flashing he was just honing i mean he used this as springboard right now that we you know when you hear Michael Bay's name, you think, okay, explosions, action. Right. And, it, and it's true. And the, overall, it was, it, it, it worked, you know, what he did. And it, it was, it was great what he did. Um, and Mark Mancina's score really helped a lot of those moments with this movie. But overall, what, you know, 
the the lack of explosions was kind of like you know Michael Bay directed this what yeah this doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah uh now one of the things before we get into our summary um the sequel which was directed by Michael Bay um Mark Mancina was supposed to come back and he was going to be working with Trevor Rabin on the score there was a lot of creative differences between Mancina and Michael Bay. Michael Bay wanted more percussion. He wanted a different sound. And Mark Mancina wanted to go pretty much the same route as the first one. He wanted to just bring that same sound back, but just in, enhance it. And that's not what Michael Bay wanted to do, apparently. So he left, which I was very upset about. I wanted Mark Mancina to come back. I wanted hit that you know original sound to come back. And then when Trevor Rabin's score was released, they also had Dr. Dre come in with additional music. <laughs> and I'm going... I never listened to the second score. What? Well, And, like, the opening title theme is, like, this synthesized, techno-sounding music that is not Bad Boys, and I did not like it. So the score for the second film, I'm not a big fan of. Now, Trevor Rabin also got uh, Steve Jablonski to do the score, which I'm a big fan of Steve Jablonski, but... Uh, for that score, I, I did not like it. And then it was 2020, wasn't it, when they released Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, and I think that's why we watched Bad Boys, because you wanted to do a Bad Boys marathon. Right, and and that's because uh, the composer brought back Mark Mancina's theme. And I, I wasn't the only one that was excited about it. There was a ton of people excited that they were bringing that theme back. And... He what he did he he basically brought the guitar riff theme, and it sounds note for note just like the original. I mean, well, I would he, hope so. I mean, no, <laughs> and I'm talking about it sounds exactly like the original. Maybe it sounded a little updated, but I mean, it was like they just got Mark Mangina to come back and okay, we need cheap music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. it was fantastic, and the score the score is really good. I, I liked what you know he did, but. Out of all three of them, I still go back to the original. I still like the score for the original film. So we got to fork up to $150 for that CD. What? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I don't think she's going to go for it, guys. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, whenever we do these, we, you know, we base it off of three different criteria. Does it work for the film? Yes and no. Yeah. That's for uh, me. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say yes and no. I'm kind of middle of the, the road. And the, the reason why is that I felt like this score was kind of um, mediocre. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, you do have this memorable theme. He's reworked the theme throughout the, the movie, which I think sounds amazing. But then when you start getting into the action pieces in which you might want to hear variety... There really isn't much variety there. Um, and so I could imagine a, a different sound come in in those pieces there. The theme, I think the theme works perfect for the movie. But unfortunately, in my opinion, now this is my opinion, guys, uh, when you have a score, you look at it as in its entirety, not just a theme, but you got supporting music and supporting pieces. And so I feel like um those could have been amped up i feel like they needed to take out those 80s riffs in there and 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 put something else uh you know in there and then uh i feel like that one bizarre hit i'm about to sneeze i think hold on 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. It's allergy season in the South. It's pretty bad. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think the bizarre hit that I mentioned, too, just kind of it added to that. I think that I would have felt a little bit differently if those 80s pieces weren't in there. So to me, yes and no. Yeah, the theme works great. But I feel like some of those other pieces need to be reworked. I, I agree with you for the most part, I but except for like the action sequences. I think a lot of the action sequences, to me, they worked. I, I, I liked it. I didn't I, say they didn't work. I just said they were mediocre. Well, I, I don't think they were mediocre. I, I liked them. I liked the way they, they came out and everything else. But I, I agree with you with the weird hit. I agree with you with the 80s. Uh, moments in there that those needed to come out of there. Something else should have been in there and there should have been, you know, maybe a little bit more variety variety with the theme than what we got in a lot of instances. A lot of the slower parts, there should have been something else there. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, but I love the score in its entirety by itself. I, right. That's a, it was a great score and it's a solid score. It really is. Now, what are some of your moments, uh, favorite moments with the score and some of your favorite scenes? At the very beginning, uh, with he with the food in the car. I just love that scene. <laughs> I don't know why. That was actually shot after the film. They, the Sony said they needed something else in there to beef up the comedy. So they ha- they reached, they shot that whole thing after the film was completed. Well, that's amazing. I didn't know that. But yeah, I love that scene, you know, because they're driving down the road and he's in this nice, is it a Porsche, I think? Yeah, it was a Porsche. A very fancy Porsche. And you hear Martin Lawrence eating a burger and fries in his car. <laughs> and he's like, are you eating in my car? Sort of thing. And that's when he dropped the fries all he, down. Then he his... drops the fries all in the car. You know, I, I think that's, I love that scene. It's just funny. <laughs> What was some of your favorite uh, score cues? I told you earlier, my favorite score cue was when, in the theme. Uh, we talked about it, especially when he, uh, the right. voices come in. And I, I really love that theme. And uh, and my favorite, though, I would say is JoJo's theme when right. you had the Caribbean sound, right. you know, uh, score-wise. Uh, score-wise for me, I of course, you know, I really like the main title, Heist. Uh, but there was another one. It was for the opening part, and it was when they're going to the police station to find out that all the drugs have been released, and you got this. Uh, it, it's kind of Caribbean, kind of reggae version of the theme, and then it goes serious with this piano, you know, working of the theme, and it was. For this brief moment, I really like that. I, I liked what that he did. There. Yeah, I love that transition yeah, he nice. did because it was like you know they got this kind of uh, percussion rhythm moment, make, you know, with the weird uh, Caribbean style theme going on there, and then also transitions very very smoothly into this very serious piano dramatic moment. And I was like, hey, this is great. I really like this. Yeah, I I think that's good too. I um, it, it was wonderful. Now, overall, do you think, uh, for our third criteria, do you think um, there could have been anything done differently? Yeah, you know, I, I, we we mentioned it when we talked about the the first point, and I think that they just need to remove those eighty that eighty guitar feeling pieces. To me, completely. Yeah, to me, that that kind of hurts the film. It just really a little does. bit, as far as the score. Now, wise. could you picture a different score in this? Now, a tightly different score for this film. And pieces, not that's why you know I said yes or no right. in the first one because I don't think the whole score needed to be rewritten. 
I could imagine different pieces kind of intermingled with the score right. to amp it up to make it sound amazing, to to take that score to the next level. I, I feel that way. Um, but as far as replacing the whole score with another score, no. Mm-mm. Me either. So that is our thoughts on uh, Bad Boys. Now, next episode is another Will Smith film. Independence it's Day. It's the next one that he filmed. Ironically, it, we didn't know that when we were going. Yeah, we this. had no idea. And um, yeah, it, and it's Independence Day, and I I love that score, so I cannot wait to start talking about that one. I started listening to it already. Uh, so b- normally when we close this out, you know, we start talking about social media. Before we do that, though, I want to give a quick shout out to um, Cheap Seat Reviews. I've been talking to these guys on Twitter, and I've been listening to their stuff. Seriously, guys, if you're not listening to them. Go check out their stuff. They get a lot of hilarious reviews on there. And I listened to their Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> it was great because a lot of their mo- a lot of their points was, you know, the same thing that we were thinking when we were watching the movie. So, yeah, it was great. I-, I loved it. So, yeah, seriously, go check those guys out. Um, also, we're also ki- kind of kicking around the idea of doing a Patreon. Now, we're not really too sure of what the rewards would be or the earnings or, you know, how much. We're still trying to figure this all out uh let us know you can contact us on twitter facebook instagram uh mainly on facebook or twitter is where you best reach us uh seriously we're kind of on the fence about this if we should do it not do it uh we're also we're thinking about doing some bonus episodes um uh, possibly more film scores or maybe video scan video game and video game scores I don't know how that's going to work because I also have a, another podcast I'm probably going to start doing with a bunch of friends of mine, which we'll talk about that another time. But I, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think we should do it? What would you like to hear? Uh, would you like us to keep doing film scores? Would you like to do video game scores? Uh, you know, something else? You know, let us know. Send us an email, measuring the score at gmail.com. Like I said, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, also, leave us a review. You know, give us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts at. We're on Apple, Spotify, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. Uh, good, bad, whatever. We'll like take it. Like us on Facebook. You can leave us a comment on Facebook. You can message us on Facebook. Uh, we do all the, as Chris says, all the social medias. All the social medias. <laughs> <laughs> we really do. Uh, the the main ones that you can really catch us on is uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we even have a TikTok account. What? Yeah, you didn't know. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I did a TikTok. Uh, I mean, we're just posting basically the audiograms that we do, but, you know, we got a few hits on there or whatever, but, yeah, no, <laughs> nothing real major. I'm not even Fancy. sure. I'm not sure if we're going to keep that one. I'm but too yeah. old school. I don't know anything about TikTok. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, guys, thank you so much for listening, for measuring the score. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Have a good one. <laughs>